0: In 2020, I was in Oaxaca, Mexico, doing what everyone does in Oaxaca, Mexico, eating, drinking, exploring all of the various arts and crafts markets. But there was something in the air, uh, and that was COVID-19, literally and figuratively. Uh, As the border started to close, I was on one of the last flights out, and things had gotten very real. We were almost stuck in Mexico. We almost didn't make it back. The airports were absolutely packed with frantic travelers. America was in a full-fledged crisis. And <laughs> little did I know uh, that my job as a Food Network personality, judge, cook, etc., cetera, uh, was also in crisis. Indeed, Hollywood and the TV industry shut down. And then many restaurants shut down. And uh, I don't think you need me to explain just how bad it was for a pretty long period of time. But uh, while I was out of a job, I was also panicking. How, how would I make money if I'm not relying on TV or people to call me and say, hey, we need you on this show? What am I going to do? I still have a mortgage. I still have to eat. And uh, I thought to myself, well, what am I good at? Nobody was calling me about podcasts. I was doing a couple virtual gigs here and there. Then I thought, wait a minute. I'm a chef. I can cook. I'll open a restaurant. At worst case, at the smallest case, it'll be a lemonade stand. At the biggest case, maybe it'll be a destination someday. So what did we do? Well, we found a spot and uh, we figured it out. How can we make a thriving restaurant in a pandemic? Our solution was very simple. Start very, very small and uh, start as a to-go only concept. So we were able to find really great packaging we were able to find a really great product. And when I say we, I mean my wife and I. On day one, when we opened, uh, our employees were two, myself and my wife, Brooke. So this presented a, uh, another set of problems because Brooke and I are two very different people. Although we love each other and have a shared interest in each other's success, oftentimes we argue over which shade of gray we want to paint the dining room that doesn't even exist. Her vote was zombie. That's what we went with. Anyway, working with family in a a restaurant during a global crisis uh, was something pretty tough and pretty taxing. But through open communication and through morning meetings, we were able to understand when we are in business mode and understand when we are in personal mode and understand that if we slip in and out of these modes, that's okay because we're going home together and we're going home with happy customers, happy employees and a fine restaurant. Now over a year in the ramen shop that we created together is a wicked success. I'm Justin Warner and you're listening to Resto Talk, a podcast brought to you by Touch Bistro. Today's guest is Jeremy Mitchell. He runs the family restaurant Cantina Norte, which was born out of the success of a previous restaurant, Cafe Norte. Cafe Norte opened in 1987 in Vancouver and became the city's most awarded Mexican restaurant. Sadly, in 1998, Cafe Norte was faced with a series of unfortunate events and the restaurant was forced to close its doors. The local area then raised $250,000 to save the restaurant. Fast forward to 2021 in the middle of a global pandemic and we have Jeremy who is looking to open up the previously mentioned Cantina Norte. In this episode, he's going to share with us his journey as an entrepreneur, restaurateur, and we'll be hearing his experiences when it comes to working with family and opening a restaurant when the rest of the world is busy dealing with a global crisis. Without further ado, let's hop into my conversation with Jeremy Mitchell. Who are you and what are you doing here?
1: (laughs) Uh, My name is Jeremy Mitchell. Um, I am the managing director of a restaurant group called Cantina Norte. Um, we are uh, we have a few different hospitality businesses under the umbrella and kind of the family of businesses. But um, primarily these days, I'm working with our kind of upscale Mexican concept that we opened last May. We're just about to come up on a year. Um, and primarily, I run kind of the business and then we have a general manager that runs the day-to-day operations. And then together, we overall run the restaurant.
0: I like it. So you kind of explained what a managing director is. But for those of us who, say, have a a small uh, restaurant or, you know, it's a mom and pop operation, what does a managing director do and where in the, the hierarchy of restaurant positions does that live? (laughs)
1: Fair enough. I would actually almost argue that it rarely is a restaurant position. It's uh, in our kind of unique, because we have a handful of businesses that kind of complement each other under our umbrella. um, I am much more, uh, I'm much less hands on in the restaurant and much more hands on with developing our brand, our marketing, our HR requirements, our Compliance. I I really run the administrative side of the business and kind of the um, forward thinking with the board of directors, uh, versus that our general manager is kind of the top of the food chain in the restaurant who takes care of the day to day. So basically, I come up with an idea or the group of us come up with an idea. I figure out how to cost it and execute it. And then I work with the team on site to actually roll it out in the restaurant, whether that's a menu change. could be as simple as a, a marketing campaign, a social media post, or who knows what. Or it could be dealing with taxes or something far less interesting.
0: <laughs> I see. So you are the man behind the curtain.
1: I'm the man behind the curtain. You could definitely say that. Yes. I'm rarely, I'm sometimes at the front door. I, I do definitely show up and work shifts and train staff. But uh, most of the time, I am sitting behind a computer, uh, kind of orchestrating, pulling strings, uh, hoping that uh, whatever crazy idea we're trying to execute actually happens properly.
0: All right. Well, I I like all this. It seems as though, um, you know, to get to that position, you would have had to have earned some degree of stripes. So how did you get into this biz?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, I'd like to say I was born into it. Um, My uh, family's background is, uh, my parents are chefs is the quick answer, Um, both of them. And I grew up uh, through the 80s and 90s. My father, well, my parents had a series of Mexican restaurants in Western Canada, that. Um, but- Every single year, the restaurant, the primary restaurant was open. It actually won the top Mexican restaurant in Western Canada and took the gold medals in Vancouver every single year. It was open through the 80s and 90s. And so, and I literally learned to walk in those restaurants. Um, from the time I was four or five years old, I was serving chips and sals in the restaurant literally as a kid because that was cheaper than daycare. Um, and uh, so, worked through that. My parents had restaurants until the late 90s when they both kind of decided we've had enough. We've done our 30 years in restaurants. We don't want to keep doing that. So they retired and started doing other things. Um, From there, my background actually took a bit of a spin. I worked in the film and theater industry for a few years and got a degree in production. um, As I thought, I never wanted to work in restaurants again, having grown up in in restaurants. Um, And then I went from there and um, left the film industry and moved actually more into technology. And I ended up starting a technology company that's a bit like Ticketmaster, but manages food and wine festivals all over the world. So pre-COVID, I spent the last 15 years developing and executing big festivals in the food and wine world, which involved restaurants all over the world. Uh, So things like the South Beach Food and Wine Festival or the Vancouver International Wine Festival that's selling right now. um, And working with those teams, providing kind of a technology background and operations uh, platform to make them successful and drive great consumer events. So I've kind of worked on the peripheral of business management and technology with restaurants, but not directly with restaurants in the last few years. And then about five, six years ago, um, we got a phone call. By, actually, one of my parents got a phone call from an architect who used to be a regular customer of their restaurant, which by funny coincidence is actually was only 100 meters from where our restaurant now is. So literally like one and a half blocks away. Um, and uh, the architect basically said, I'm designing a new re- a new building. It's go- going in just up the street from the old restaurant. And we need to have your family's restaurant in the building. And my father had been retired for 15 years at this point and went, nope, <laughs> I'm not doing that again. Um, and uh, I then got a call from my sister um, asking if I'd consider partnering with her to then... Open up the restaurant ourselves, and uh, yeah, go from there. So that was about five six years ago. We signed a lease. They made us a great offer and a great deal, and we started our work and design to finally get to a place where we had a Mexican restaurant opening. Sadly, COVID hit halfway through that process and made it way more difficult than we thought it would ever be.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think we would be remiss uh, as restaurateurs and as a uh, restaurant podcast uh, to not touch on. Uh, you know, the personal toll uh, in terms of your business, at least, that that COVID uh, took. You know, I actually launched my restaurant uh, one year ago. So happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary to me. You know, oddly for me, it was the pandemic that inspired me to open the restaurant. I worked in, I mean, I still work in food television and uh, all sorts of, you know, virtual events and whatnot and live events back when those were a thing. Um yep. and that was my main source of income. But when Hollywood shut down, I, I panicked and needed a a tangible way to make money. Um, because to me, TV is not tangible, podcasts are not tangible. You know, I rely on many other people to get them done. So I had to kind of rely on, well, what what can I do? And then I remembered, yep. oh yeah, I can build a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> And, yeah. and you know, I, I literally was going to settle with like the best lemonade stand or something like that. You know, it didn't have to be a, a full fledged, you know, battleship of a restaurant. But now it is cool. What was that process like for you?
1: In its beginning, the I mean, the concept of designing businesses, developing systems, um, figuring out ways to kind of to structure the overall operation is what I love to do. So that is where uh, my sister and I kind of offset each other really well. My sister is incredible managing a floor and a team of restaurant people. And she runs a really tight ship and she's incredible at it. What I'm really good at is kind of all the behind the scenes things and and making that all happen, which was a ton of fun working through. We spent about two years developing uh, designs, working with interior designers, choosing furniture that we had made in half of it was made in a factory in Italy and then the other half in Asia. And just like spending a lot of time, I went to Mexico six separate times to go and source product and material for the restaurant and right down to the centerpiece of art in the restaurant, we found a tin smith in central Mexico and worked with them to design this art installation. And then we shipped it to Vancouver and installed it. Um, So we spent an immense amount of energy uh, designing a really special place. And all of that was great and planned for. And we were really trying to build a battleship of a restaurant, to use your words. And then all of a sudden, we got handed the keys that we could actually start construction, not just the design phase. And about mm, a month and a half, six weeks later, as we are just ramping up construction, COVID hit. And boom, we have to shut down construction. We can't move forward. There's a full lockdown in Vancouver and Western Canada. Um, So we basically had to sit on our butts for about three months whilst. Our full rent is due every month. Our All the other bills and contracts we've signed to move forward don't just disappear because we can't build and construction doesn't start. Um, there were a whole series of things that, as everyone I'm sure can appreciate, that just fell apart. Um, because all of these, I mean, we've been planning for two years this kind of 16-week build-out that ended up turning into about 14 months End to end, rather than four months, which in the world of building a restaurant is an insane amount of time to spend building and way too much money. Because at the end of the day, landlords don't give you a bunch of; you still have to pay rent when you're usually when uh, when you're building. So it took way longer, an immense amount of stress, and all the things that you would usually take for granted and rely on in terms of schedules and timing and permits and the million and one things you need to consider it was all it was almost like playing Russian roulette because at any given moment, well, frankly, you can't rely on anything. We intend, you know, next week, we're planning to install the terracotta tiles that are going to be used for wine storage. Oops, those are stuck on a boat. Um, we got all the way to the end of uh, the construction period, ready to open, got our final permits. And then I got a phone call saying that the port of Vancouver, isn't going to be able to offload our furniture that is sitting on a boat for probably three more months. And even though it had arrived, it was literally, I could see the boat in the harbor from where I was, Uh, it's stuck on the boat. (laughs) There's not enough people to unload the containers to get our... So we actually spent the first almost four months of operating the restaurant in temporary furniture because our furniture, although we ordered it a year prior, was all stuck on a boat in the harbor. Um, So there was just like a constant domino effect of... Uh, Things like that, that you would just, we would have had no way under normal circumstances to know that just kind of turned into this constant reevaluation of trying to figure out how to prioritize things, which ultimately ended up costing way more money, causing way more stress, and taking way longer than anyone ever thought it was going to.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I hear you loud and I echo some of that. Um, When we went to build out our dining room, well, first we launched with a to go only concept. And the idea uh, was that if COVID never ended, then we could just keep doing to-go only and that's fine and I can run the noodles and I run a ramen shop. Uh, I'll run noodles and Brooke will do the packaging and the ordering and so on and so forth. That's my wife. Um, so this leads me to two questions and one more statement. Um, the statement is when we eventually decided to open a dining room, uh, there was just a massive shortage and everything was taking too long in terms of furniture. So we opened with folding chairs and church pews. I'm not kidding. You <laughs> church pews we found for $50 and now happy accident. The church pews are still here. And uh, people love them. Somebody complimented them today. And I'm like, yeah, they're church views we found for $50 in Wyoming. But anyway, <laughs> I, I digress. So yeah. the, the, the next two questions are, um, you know, you're dealing with an intense amount of stress. And we, we all know uh, as restaurateurs and as hospitalitarians that you know restaurants often are a place of stress and i always say it's bad luck to make plans in a restaurant because you know you never know exactly what's going to happen like you said it, it was like russian roulette and a russian roulette that's attached to a domino effect like two things that i would prefer to never be tied together <laughs> um, but yet but yet we we persist and so i wanted to know what sort of um What was your routine like in order to preserve uh, your sanity, your calm, your cool, whatever it was, and to say, you know what, we're going to get through this because what we do here is solve problems. Um, Oftentimes that problem is as simple as, are you hungry? What would you like? Um, But oftentimes there are far greater problems as you just illustrated. So how did you keep your cool and not just throw up your hands and say, that's it, I'm done?
1: Yeah, I think in my case there are we are incredibly fortunate where where we are located that we have a multi-decade history in the neighborhood in the community, and people know our parents, know us, know come into the restaurant even if we've never met them before. They've heard the story of our parents in the neighborhood and Mexican restaurant. So there is a we are something that is almost well. I think the best thing you can hope for in a restaurant is a loyal following and some kind of ingrained community that people kind of respect the fact that it's actually a business Is there. And there's lots of restaurants that are incredible at that. And there's lots of restaurants that just do not try. And as a result, don't build a strong following and don't last very long. And if we, I think what kept us going was our family had been we all grew up with such a tight integration with the community and supporting the community and trying to be really good contributors to where we live and and the people around us. Being able to bring that back after two decades and have almost... It, It almost felt like it picked up right where it left off in the late 90s. And we opened this restaurant almost 22 years after the last one closed. And we had people coming in and a lineup down the street the moment it opened, talking, telling and sharing stories about their kids and their parents and when they grew up going to our parents' restaurants. And for all of us, like our family, our entertainers, we are all of us work in food and wine or hospitality in one way or another. I've got a lot of siblings as well. And all of us love um, the ability to create memorable experiences. And knowing that that's what was coming at the end of it and having a strong confidence in as long as we get the door open, that the community will support us, I think is probably what kept us going. Because there are, as you say, there were so many things that were thrown at us that under normal circumstances, I probably would have thrown my hands up and said, enough, I'm out. But there is such a tight history with our family and community in this particular project that I don't think we ever got to that point. We knew the moment COVID started, it was just a matter of, this is going to be brutal, but here we go and let's make the best of it. And we managed to do it. We, through lots of trial and error and all kinds of challenges. Um, but the response has been amazing. Uh, we actually just in the last two weeks won uh, Best New Restaurant, Best Mexican, and Best Happy Hour for the regional awards in this part of the world. Um, so already people are telling us that they're really enjoying what we're doing. And uh, that in itself has been really incredible.
0: Yeah, I love that. The I 100% identify with that sense of community and you know it seems like you know you are really writing the next chapter or the sequel you know to an already great book and i got to say to me as a restaurateur it's never about the money it's never about the stress it's it's always about the people and it's about you know people look to you to bring a little happiness to their day and you know opening a, a new restaurant in pandemic was like a for me at least was like a glimmer of hope but for you you know it's like return of the jedi right like they they had been waiting for this forever and like pow you're back and it seems as though your your customers are fans as as opposed to just like people who are you know, they want you to succeed, right? They don't just want to eat your food, but they want you to succeed. So I guess what I'm trying to get at here is, do you think that that mentality of your clientele comes from the storied history, comes from reminiscence, or comes from the product and hospitality that you have? Because it's it's a different time and it's a different location, albeit only by 100 meters, but it's not the same, right?
1: Yeah, no, it's not the same. I think what I always told people while we were building and told the staff through kind of training and initial opening is that the history is going to bring them in once. It's what we create and the energy and the people and the experience that we continue to deliver is what's going to keep them coming back. So we were lucky that we did have that initial reason for them to come and see what we're all about because of the buzz. But We've had people back, like we have regulars that are in every third day. I mean, it's like we have some really, some people that really are loving what we do. And I think that because, well, I think exactly that. We we put such a high price on ensuring the kind of mutual respect and um, the people and the community. And at the end of the day, I don't think it matters. I think it matters less what we're actually producing in terms of the literal menu than what it is for us to be a member, an active member of the community and the experiences and the people around us. And I think that because we were putting such a high level of um, effort into doing that and we understand how important that is to those people that it's just all working really well and people are coming back and we don't have to live on the memories of the 80s and 90s because we're we've managed to create a new version of that and we've always said we didn't reopen the same restaurant we opened a modernized version of it on purpose it's not the same menu it's a take on the original menu but it's all it's all designed for the next generation a new version and and a business that makes sense today not in the 80s and 90s um, as mexican restaurants have come a long way in the last 20 30 years in north america
0: right so speaking of the 80s and 90s uh, in the 80s and 90s social media was like a beeper or uh, <laughs> word of mouth or one of those little sheets that has phone numbers printed on the bottom that you tear them off and say, okay, I need a handyman. Um, yeah. and you know, it kind of is like an old thing to talk about like restaurants and social media. We all know that social media is, is vital, uh, to getting your, your word out there. It's, it's basically free advertising that you yourself control. Um, yeah. what, what having a background in tech and that sort of, uh, that world but also having parents that are i'm sure were not silent during this process how did they feel about this modern world and like when you say a social media campaign like what what does that look like when both parents were chefs in the 90s
1: yeah um, you, you could not be more right in terms of um how different it is from then. Um, the, one of the funny things, actually, when we started developing um, and trying to kind of get together the various materials we had left, and funny enough, we actually still had a ton of furniture and, and uh, pottery and art and all kinds of things from the original restaurants that have all been in storage for more than two decades that we started actually pulling out of storage and going through from the different family members and then picking and choosing things to bring into the original restaurant But where that was a challenge from the technology side is that we also were trying to find a digital footprint of what did we do in the 80s and 90s? What are all the things that we're trying to remember? And of course, there's no digital footprint. There were no digital photos. There's no online presence. We didn't even have a website. There was no real internet in the 80s and 90s. So trying to all of that did not exist when the original restaurants were happening. So here we are in a in a you're absolutely right. I've spent most of my life in technology and um we now rely immensely on the different technology platforms. Everything from our accounting integrations with our POS systems to social media to all kinds of loyalty programs and marketing efforts that um are just completely different way way um. well, more complicated, but also so much more efficient in so many ways. And social media in particular, my parents are both on social media. They know what it's all about, but I mean, they don't, they don't have any obvious comfort with using it as a, as a marketing tool. Um, but they definitely, we actually have somebody that does that full time for us because we rely on social media Really, it's our primary, it's the primary way we market. I mean, we, everything from oh, we opening late, closing early, new special today, it could be anything that's, and it's on social media and that's how we get the word out. Um, we do almost no email marketing. We do very little traditional marketing. Uh, we definitely do some online marketing, but not a ton at all. It's like 98% of our marketing efforts are going through social media channels, um, yeah, because it's it's an absolute critical piece these days. And it's one of the few things, as you say, that we can actually control. <laughs> um, which uh, is a nice thing in the marketing world, because it's not usually the case.
0: This might be a sensitive subject, but uh, I work with my wife. My wife is my partner uh, in life and in, in crime mm-hmm. and in restaurants. And uh, we often uh, disagree. We often butt heads. But the end result is generally uh, something that is a, a product of both minds and is a great product. So I guess what I'm getting at here is what's it like working with family?
1: Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> so uh, my partner also works with us. Um, my sister is my business partner in the restaurant. I have another sister who works with one of my other businesses, and both my parents are involved in one capacity or another. Um, so it is very, and in fact, the social media person I was just talking mentioning is another sister. Um, so even though most of the staff are not my family, the my most of my family are on staff in one way or another. Um, it is incredibly difficult. It is both well, it is both incredibly difficult, risky, and unbelievably rewarding to get to spend time with such a talented group of people. But we are all very opinionated. We all have strong personalities, and we have many moments where we butt heads. Um, but I always try to live by you know, I don't ever want uh, working with family to be something that results in uh, either bad relationships within the family or people mad at each other. So I've always taken the approach of talk everything out in advance whenever possible. Uh, and so I'm really, really cautious to try to set expectations and whatever else might need to happen before they even get involved so that when and if anything ever does come and happen that we're upset about or whatever's happening, we've already talked out a resolution on it so we can just figure it out. And um, because the last thing I would want would be to jeopardize uh, those personal relationships with my family over something work related. But, In our family, they are very, very tightly integrated. (laughs) So removing work from our personal relationships is almost impossible. Um, But nonetheless, it is so rewarding being able to... I mean, we actually had our first staff party on Monday night, so just two days ago. And that was the first time we could actually celebrate with the entire family and our entire staff because of COVID restrictions. So we never had an opening party. We've not had any kind of staff gathering, nothing. And finally, in the last few weeks, uh, the restrictions have dropped away in Vancouver, and it was finally possible for us to actually celebrate as a group. And it's those moments when we could finally come back together and celebrate the last few years of an exceptional amount of stress. Um, But we've pulled something pretty cool together, and that makes it worth the risk of uh, working with family and risking those relationships. But uh, yeah, uh, the good outweighs the bad. Is really, for me, at the end of the day, what matters.
0: I love it. Uh, On families... I find, and maybe I have no statistical data to back this up, but I find that families are more, like you find more families in restaurants than you do other businesses. I mean, maybe second only to law firms uh, or accounting (laughs) firms or something, you know, know, like I don't feel like you, you go to get your oil changed and it's, you know, the whole family, you know, like mom's yeah. mom's got the, the hydrant spanner out or that's a Star Wars tool, but I digress. I don't know anything about cars, but <laughs> you see what I'm saying here? Why why do you think it is that we say it's a mom and pop restaurant, but you don't say it's a mom and pop hospital?
1: Yeah. Do um, you know, I, I'm not sure that I have a great answer to that other than to say, I think that Restaurants are so often started by small family units, whether it's immigrants that have come into a new place or whatever the case may be. But it's often started by parents that restaurants don't make a lot of money. So a family that gets into a place where they're producing, whether it's a small Vietnamese restaurant or whatever, um, they often are in a position where the next generation grows up within that business because it's just a reality of to be able to afford to run a small restaurant, it's unlikely that you have enough income to completely staff it and be hands-off as a business owner. So you're probably there all the time, which probably means your kids are around all the time, which likely means they've grown up working in the restaurant and that's what they know. And I think that there's a bit of a propagating of that um, just by virtue of how restaurants work. I mean, I think that there's an element of kind of next generation in almost any business, but I definitely agree with you a hundred percent. In restaurants, it is so often, unless you're in kind of a bigger corporate restaurant situation, that there's often, often family groups running those businesses. And a hundred percent in our case, it's a family unit that runs the runs the restaurant. At the end of the day, I have to make difficult decisions and actually call shots when push comes to shove. But For the most part, we really do run it. They all, all of them are experts in what they do. They've all worked in for decades in various aspects of the hospitality and food industry. And it takes, I think, what allows us to produce such a great experience is the combined effort of everybody's life experience that has come back after 20 years of having a different family restaurant that we're all able now, after decades away, to put that energy and experience into a new product. And I think what makes it so great is that combined effort of all of us rather than just me pretending I have all the right answers because I'm good at coordinating, but I'm not always right.
0: <laughs> I, I hear that. And that sometimes that's a, a tough pill to swallow. Um, as a restaurateur, my management style is actually like quite hands-off until you need me. And then I am extremely hands-on and am willing to... like. You know, I'm I'm here to solve your problems so you can get your job done. Like if you don't have a problem for me to solve, then I'm gonna leave you alone and assume the best. And going back to family, for me, I employ friends, I employ close friends, I have employees that have become friends, and I work with my wife. And to me, my motivation is about trust and trusting that someone has the interests of the whole uh, over the interests of the the self. And I think it's tough when you interview someone until you get, you know, until the shit really hits the fan, you know, you don't know how that person is going to react. And so to me, um, as someone without kids and someone who chose to build a restaurant, I didn't have to, it wasn't life or death for me, whether I did it or not. I just thought, well, this is a good idea. And like I said, I was motivated out of panic. Um, To me, it's just so much easier To know how someone is going to react in a situation because I've had history with them. And I think that restaurants, you know, we like to say, oh, you know, it's Russian roulette or it's crazy, and you never know what's going to happen in a restaurant. Restaurants are powered by chaos. And, you know, there's a a famous book, Hitchhiker's Eye to the Galaxy, where there's an entire space station powered by the chaos of a single restaurant. Are you familiar with
1: this? Yeah, I I am.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, And so, like, we're all no stranger to this. But you know, the one thing that I think would make restaurants easier amongst everyone is telepathy, right? The ability to uh, coordinate without speaking, to read someone's mind, and to communicate without actually having to vocally communicate. And I think that family members actually do have, to some degree, a bit of telepathy where simply because you've spent so much time with them, you understand how they will react to a situation. And that to me is like priceless and i don't think you can necessarily get that in a hire do you agree yeah
1: yeah 100% you actually i'm i'm thinking through different scenarios in the restaurants where that exact type of just uh, intuitive knowledge and just an example in our world uh, katie is exceptional on the line so katie's my sister the general manager um, if the kitchen is totally behind they're in trouble they need help katie can jump on that line and just Rocket and then absolutely execute and often if it's a crazy saturday night and i happen to be there i'll jump on the expo line and it's katie and i across from each other and we have an unspoken method of we can just go and we know how each other work we've spent most of our we're only 11 months apart from each other like we, we we're almost twins growing up and we just we know how to function and we know what it takes and we know how to bust our butts to make it happen and that Kind of inherent trust in just knowing that they're going to be able to pull it off is, I think, what allows us to um, perform at a at a high level. And I agree. I mean, out of the we hired about fifty five employees when we first opened, and at least half of those employees have turned over now in the last year, which is not surprising due to COVID and all kinds of things. But what we ultimately now have after a year. Are a small group of extremely loyal, really what I consider our extended family. And I, I refer it all the time to our team as our family. And and I think you're exactly right, is that it, it's impossible in the you know five minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, however long you're gonna spend interviewing somebody you're never really going to know what they're all about until you see them perform. And they're really stressed under those extreme circumstances. And it's then when you really get to see true colors and how, and how an employee is really going to prioritize themselves and the business and, We've now gotten ourselves to a place where we have a really great family um, in place that we we can trust those things. But it took time to get there because you're absolutely right. An interview is not enough time to get any real meaningful information or get to know somebody well enough to really be able to trust, as you say, um, that only happens over time. Which, of course, is inherent with family.
0: Well, it seems as though you know we have a lot in common uh, in terms of. Uh the way in which we we look at uh, you know getting under the hood uh, about how uh, we respond to uh, problems. curiously, we both opened a restaurant uh, in a pandemic, which is a very yep. strange thing to say. <laughs> but what would you say, and if you don't mind, as positively as possible, yeah um, what would you give as just a random piece of advice? Uh, for someone who either owns a restaurant now or somebody who's thinking about it?
1: You have to go into a restaurant wanting to provide great experiences for the people that are going to come and dine there, not necessarily as a business-making, a money-making venture. Because if you're lucky, the money will come. But what is guaranteed is a high level of stress and a lot of work. But the satisfaction that comes back when people are happy and leaving the business and telling you how great the experience was outweighs any type of monetary thing that restaurant's ever going to develop for you. So go into it for uh, the experience of the people and less for the financial reward <laughs> whenever possible. Because um, in all likelihood, if you're passionate and happy and putting forward the energy that is making people happy, the money is going to flow behind it.
0: A great man once said to me, he ran a bagel shop in my hometown and employed me. Son, we're here to make friends, not money.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. And that is honestly the mantra I try to think of with the restaurant is it's, you know, the the money, the finances have to be lined up to make sense so the business can't succeed. But our goal there is not just to make money. Our goal there is exactly as you say, to make friends, the money will follow. Thanks
0: for listening to Resto Talk, a podcast brought to you by Touch Bistro. I'm Justin Warner, and make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you on the next one.